This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniform Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniform Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Welcome back to Practical for Your Practice. I am Jenna Ermold, and as always, I'm joined by my fantastic colleagues, Dr. Andy Santinello, Dr. Kevin Holloway. You want to say hi, guys? Hey, how's it going? It's exciting. I'm excited today. I got to tell you, we have a fantastic guest um, who is Dr. Shannon Miles, and I met Shannon a couple of years ago when she presented in our webinar series. Um, the title of her webinar was Understanding and Managing Anger and Aggression in PTSD. And as we were developing the podcast, she rose to the top of names of folks I wanted to have on because she did a fantastic job in the webinar and I think has such important practical applied things uh, to share with all of us about, you know, when when anger and aggression is part of the clinical picture. So Shannon, welcome so much. Uh, we welcome you to the podcast. And maybe you could take a second to, you know, give us a little bit of your background and what you're doing these days. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am a clinical psychologist at the James A. Haley VA, which is located in Tampa, Florida, and also assistant professor at the University of South Florida, which is our academic affiliate right across the street. However, I'm not here on behalf of either of those organizations. Um, and, and Andy and Kevin, you might not know this, but Shannon's dissertation was actually on disgust. So I kind of think she says she researches shame and vulnerability and they kind of like walk away slowly. Oh I feel like Shannon is like, yeah, I talk about anger, aggression and, and disgust. And I, and I wondered like, do you make friends? Well, she's comfortable with disgust. So that probably opens up a lot more possibilities for her in terms of who she can relate to. <laughs> it be interesting how many people love to talk about their disgust triggers. It is um, rather eye-opening when you study that topic. Yeah, so um, maybe we'll have part two on discuss. But today we really wanted to talk about you know your primary line of research, which is anger and aggression. Um, and I guess partly want to start by saying you know anger sometimes gets a bad rap, and you know maybe just start by when you're when you're talking to other clinicians or in some of the work you've done. Um, maybe let's set the stage about emotion in general and all the different ones um, and, and whether they're bad or good or, or neither. Absolutely. So it's interesting because I did start out in disgust with an affective neuroscience background, um, but it became clear that disgust is one emotion that can really cause challenges for people with OCD, um, with certain phobias, but oftentimes people have trouble regulating a variety of emotions especially people who have served um, in our military and have developed PTSD. And so um, my background started to explore these different emotions. So anger and disgust and sadness and happiness um, and uh, fear, which is another topic that can often bring up anger and discussion or um, anger and aggression. And so um, it's this 
this blend of emotions or these variety of emotions that give us um, joy in life and so much excitement and the ability to be humans, but also can cause a lot of impairment and challenges for people. What brought up anger and aggression for me was working with patients who had post-traumatic stress disorder. And it is such a common problem um, within that disorder specifically. It's actually one of the most um, reported uh, challenges that people come back from deployment and want help with across psychological disorders. So it doesn't, it's not specific to PTSD, but it's definitely present frequently in PTSD. And for people who are experiencing those challenging emotions that, you know, they're really frequent with PTSD, how do you find it, I don't know, uh, interacts with maybe help-seeking behavior or taking advantage of resources that are out there, that, that kind of thing? Well, oftentimes I find that uh, patients present when they have a lot of anger and aggression because their spouses or loved ones or partner mm -hmm. said, mm -hmm. it is time for you to go get treatment or it's done. And so oftentimes it's the consequence for the other party that brings them in and they value that person enough or that family member or that unit enough to say, okay, I'm willing to change things. Anger and aggression often feel pretty good for the person who's experiencing them. So it generally is not just the internal experience that they want to help manage. It works for them. It can be really empowering. It can feel a lot better than fear or shame. And so anger has a lot of adaptive qualities, as Jenna said earlier. Um, and it, we need anger. We need it to keep us alive. We need it to adapt to our environments, to overcome obstacles. We definitely need it within a military system. Um, however, we need to be able to regulate it and target it in appropriate fashions. And so oftentimes there's this balance between recognizing how important these emotion systems are for survival and not only for humans, but for mammals, but then also like, how do you function and how do you transition between environments in a way that allows you to still connect in a personal way? I think that's a, I think it's a really important starting place for a strategy for working with anger and aggression, the normalizing of anger as a valid emotion and the fact that there's nothing wrong with being angry. You know, so much of our, our ideas and thoughts about anger put it in sort of this negative category. It's bad. We shouldn't have it. So many clients come with that belief. And as you just met, mentioned, family members talking about, you know, I want you to get anger management when it feels really empowering. And one of the things I was curious about, and I know you're going to probably get to this eventually, but the difference between your work in aggression management and regulation and anger management, because I, I think there's a really important distinction between those two things. Yes. So just a lot of points there, Andy. Um, I do think culturally, and especially depending on where you were raised, that there are different values with emotion systems in general and also gender specific. Um, so being raised in the South, anger is not an emotion that um, girls or women are encouraged to have. In fact, that um, is often taught to be inappropriate. Um, now, on the flip side, men are actually allowed to be angry and they're allowed to express anger. And that is generally more um, socially accepted than it is for women. And so um, we, one of the things that we do in treatment is to talk about the adaptive qualities of emotion systems, but also to talk about where your beliefs started. So were your parents accepting? of emotions. And oftentimes for men, unfortunately, it is suck it up, don't be a girl and like put those feelings down and carry on. And then for women, by God, it better not be anger because that is inappropriate. 
Um, so about your emotion systems and how you're allowed or not allowed to have them in order to kind to address your secondary emotions to those primary emotional experiences. Um, so that is part of the work that I do and anger management can be really helpful. Um, so I am in support of that. But one of the things that I found lacking when I was working with anger management is that it's not just anger. Like we are these full functioning human beings or mammals that have all of these emotion systems. So if you focus on one, that, that can be helpful, um, but it's part of the story. We now know that emotions can elicit other emotions. So shame is one that often elicits or can elicit aggression. And so if you're feeling shame-based emotions and aggression can be one way to change your status in a social hierarchy, that is one way to elevate you and make you feel better. Um, so if you ignore the shame part, you may be ignoring what the actual problem is or the initial core um, emotion. Example, fear. Fear is so helpful. It keeps us alive. It allows us to survive. Um, but one of the very typical responses to fear is the fight response. And so if you're fighting, that may help you survive situations, but it's not so much the anger, it's the fear that triggered that aggressive response. So really kind of getting down to, it's not just one emotion that causes challenges. We are emotional human beings and how do they interact and how do we help you regulate them? I think that's a distinction sometimes that gets blurred that, you know, you have the emotions, anger, fear, shame, and the behavior is aggression and they're very different. I think sometimes people combine those two things, anger and aggression are like the same thing. And, that, and that's where we miss the boat. Oh my gosh, this is such a good point. And our, oftentimes patients do not distinguish between the behavior, the aggression, the yelling, screaming, throwing, and the actual emotional response. So if that's anger first, or if it's fear or whatever the triggering emotion is, um, oftentimes patients need to be taught like emotions you have them, they're automatic, you have to regulate them, but oftentimes you don't have control over them. What your reaction to them is the important part. And even in anger management and aggression treatment that I do, the anger often doesn't change. And that's okay, we want you to have anger, but it's your reaction to that anger is what we want to change. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's psychotherapy or medication, um, you're gonna have anger because you're a human or a mammal. And um, it is your responses to that that we want to help you change. So interesting, because I've seen a number of clients that will come in and tell me that they've got an anger problem and they need to have anger man management therapy. And, and when we explore a little bit about, you know, what does that give rise to? What behaviors does that lead to? It, it, it usually is things like shutting down or it's like, or, you know, like they'll, they'll, they'll talk about how they almost did something really shocking and, and aggressive, but, you know, and, and so they feel like they need to get rid of this anger. They need to kill this anger off you know, so they don't do something crazy. And it, it comes, I guess, into stark relief to me when I'm talking to those clients, the, the difference between the emotion and the behavior there and how important that is. Yes. So important. And the people and with PTSD, there are two symptoms that we look for. It see strong negative emotions, um, anger, guilt, sadness, but then aggression is actually measured in a separate symptom. And when they say, oh, I'm so, I'm so aggressive. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, oh, what did you do? And oh, I sat there and I didn't say anything for like 30 minutes. Well, you're really angry. Um, and I hear you, but that's not aggression. And that's actually a, a sign that you're controlling. Exactly, yeah. It's maybe not the most adaptive way to control them, but you're not throwing things. You're not screaming. So that's a pro. That's a, that's a benefit. As you're talking about it, one of the things I'm sort of thinking about is 
I mean, conceptualizing anger and other emotions like shame and fear and, and things that can precede aggression as almost like antecedents. I think often as clinicians, we think about those emotions as responses to a trigger. And of course, they could be in sort of the behavioral chain, but it, just even shifting the focus towards thinking about, okay, you're angry. You may not have control over that. It's not like you're doing something wrong. You just happen to be angry. Now, what's your response to that anger really can, I think, shift that conversation to something different because then there could be shame about being angry, right. you know, if you don't make that shift and then that could lead to some other things too. So it's just, I think a, a really sort of subtle, but very important shift in thinking that could be just right off the bat useful for a client. Absolutely. And that really goes with any type of psychotherapy that wants you to um, practice acceptance space thoughts and emotions. So like not having a secondary emotion to your emotions is so important um, and really can be free if you're allowed to just be angry and not have to have all of these other guilt and shame related to that normal response. Because try not to be angry when you're angry. <laughs> Good luck with that. You know, I love when patients say, oh, my wife or my partner or whoever just told me to get over it. I'm like, yes, that right. works. That works. That's such <laughs> right. a helpful statement. Right, right. Works zero okay. percent of the time. <laughs> right. And yet we all still, we at least myself, I, I tell myself those same things, you know, all the time too. Like I, if I'm feeling something that I don't like, I'm just, I'm telling myself, okay, well, you need to just get over this and do something else instead of, you know, allowing that to be where it is. And and in particular with things like anger and shame, when anger and shame shows up, it's because something usually feels very threatening and violating. And then to say to yourself or have somebody else say to you, it's no big deal. Just make you even more angry and feel even more invalidating. It, it usually comes from a good place when people want to help and right. people often yeah. just don't know how. So I think that was, you know, some good points about maybe what's not helpful or what's not going to uh, promote better mastery of, of that aggressive behavior. So maybe we can shift gears. And I know that you are PI on an RCT for... Uh, an intervention, manage emotion to reduce aggression. I think I got that right, Mira. Yes. Um, and would love to, you know, hear more about what what we would recommend that clinicians do. This podcast is really intended to kind of support our colleagues out there to to do better jobs in their practice. So, thoughts about that uh, would be great. And one distinction I've heard you make before that I wanted to also talk about was impulsive aggression versus premeditated aggression and, and kind of what works for each of those or maybe what doesn't work for a certain kind. Perfect. Yes. So I'll start with impulsive versus premeditated aggression. So it is important to kind of, to recognize as a clinician that all aggression is not motivated by the same thing. So we've already talked about how it can be triggered by different emotions, but there are also different types of aggression. And uh, impulsive aggression is when you lose control. It is an overreaction to the trigger. And oftentimes people report regret after the behavior. So um, a perfect example of this that really got me started in this line of research was I was working with a client who did not present aggressively to me. He was respectful. He was on time. He did his homework and he was working on PTSD work. And he came in one day and talked about how his young child spilled something. I think it was milk, something trivial. 
and he lost it. So he screamed at him and he doesn't remember, he didn't remember what he said. There's often like this memory gap for details, um, but he scared his child so much that the child urinated on himself. And I remember just like sitting there in session one, being so sad for his child, but also being so sad for my client because it was so inconsistent with who he was in terms of his values and who he wanted to be as a person and as a father. And like, he was very distressed and it was just so incongruent with the person that I would meet with weekly. That is impulsive aggression. That is losing it. It is out of control. It is not planned. And people often want to change that behavior. That's what brings them in. Now, you can compare this to premeditated aggression that is planned, deliberate, and not emotionally driven. So in the room with patients, you can feel qualitatively a difference. One person is reporting remorse and regret. The other person often says things like, well, I warned them and they deserved it. Or if, you know, I said X, Y, and Z and she didn't back off. So she got what was coming to her statements like that. And this lack of emotional engagement, it's very matter of fact, like aggression works for me. We can treat impulsive aggression that responds to medications like antiepileptic medications, mood stabilizers, sometimes SSRIs are used um, and psychotherapies. We don't know how to treat premeditated aggression because it's deliberate behavior that is often working for the person. So one of the things as a clinician is you need to figure out what type of aggression first. Is it impulsive? Does the person value um, whatever family unit or whatever thing in their environment enough to change it? Or is it premeditated and it works for them? Usually there's a feel, but there are also measures you can use to get at that. The impulsive premeditated aggression measure is uh, one option. So what is motivating the aggression? I target or I focus on people who have impulsive aggression. And so- And that's more do, common with PTSD, right? Impulsive aggression is what we're seeing more when we're seeing that with PTSD. Yes, thank you. So about 70% of people with PTSD report aggression. That's a lot. And um, it, this can be yelling, screaming, often it's verbal aggression, but about 20% of people after, after they return from combat with PTSD report engaging in violence. And so an action that hurts another person. And so it's a huge problem. Most of the time, the vast majority of that aggression and PTSD is impulsive. And so it's, it's oftentimes not premeditated. It's impulsive and you can work with that. Patients want to work with that. They want to decrease that behavior. Absolutely. The way you describe premeditated aggression sounds also a little kind of access to characterological. And, and it, I mean, it makes sense why that would be a little resistant, I think, or not just a little resistant, but resistant to intervention attempts um, differently, perhaps, than the impulsive aggression. I don't know if that's a distinction you would make, but that, that was the flavor I, I got as you were describing them. Yes. And similar terms are used for, or different terms are used for similar constructs. And so sometimes people label it as antisocial PD. However, you don't have to be fully antisocial to have premeditated aggression. Some people just like being aggressive. And so that is harder. And actually those people respond less well to anger management. So in treatment, they tend not to do as well because the behavior is working for them. Yeah. So as a provider, being able to distinguish the two types of aggression and then 
in terms of the treatment that I provide, Mira, manage emotions to reduce aggression. This is a skills-based treatment that does a couple things. One, it's delivered in three sessions because people who have PTSD have high rates of dropout from treatment. If they are gonna drop out from treatment, you generally have three sessions with them. And so it is a three session treatment because that's how long we were keeping people in treatment. And we said, okay, if we can only have them for a limited amount of time, what is the most um, impactful thing that we can do for these people who may not return to clinic for years and years? And so it's also very skills-based, which means that it gives people, people tools to deal with their emotions, but it's not going to fix everything. You're going to give tools to help them adapt to their current lives, but they're probably going to need other types of psychotherapy. And what happens is that we teach them the adaptive value of emotions. Emotions are there for a reason. They help you survive. They're signals to other people. They help you um, get away from danger. They help you overcome obstacles. They help you engage in life and procreate. They help you from getting sick, discuss where I kind of started this um, line of research. So all of these things are very helpful and adaptive. We have to recognize that. And then we say, okay, um, how do you actually view them now? Do you view them as adaptive? And if not, why? Like, what was your upbringing? What was your military culture that you engaged in? Or first responders tend to have similar emotional responses as well. Um, gender tends to play a role. And so where did those thoughts come from? And now what do you do with it? And we teach eight skills. These skills are not new to the treatment. Any provider that has worked with skills-based treatment, either cognitive behavioral therapy, DBT, or ACT, you can get these skills. And we wanted this treatment to be feasible for providers in many different clinics and many different settings. And so there is an app, the PTSD Coach app has this, um, all of these skills, or you don't have to use the app because some people don't like apps, um, some people do. And it teaches veterans to bring up those emotions, which are adaptive, and then regulate them. And you have to do it with them in session because it's a practice that you have to do repeatedly in order to become skillful at it. And then you practice in multiple different settings. And so this is not groundbreaking work. The delivery is new and the adaptive perspective of emotions is kind of new um, or maybe not delivered as frequently as I would like, but it's teaching people what to do with their emotions. So it's kind of a simple construct um, or a simple idea. It's just delivered in a way that veterans were allowing us to deliver it, which is brief, three sessions, and very direct. So Jenna said you're, you're the PI of an RCT, looking at Mira. Um, and I, I assume this isn't the first time of, that it's been studied or, or, or looked at it and kind of results, but like, you know, what are you, what are you generally seeing? What the kind of the impact? Yes. And so this, we ran a pilot study with Mira to make sure there was a signal and to collect safety data to make sure we weren't uh, making people feel worse with the treatment. And we had a positive signal. So uh, after three sessions, we had a moderate effect size at reducing aggression. So veterans reduce their aggression generally by half and also reduce their emotion dysregulation. So we actually think that's the mechanism that is helping people reduce their aggression is regulating their emotions. And so we found moderate effect sizes for both of those aggression or frequency of aggression and then amount of dysregulation. That's a pilot study, so you really shouldn't be looking at effect sizes from such small samples, but it allowed us to provide a proof of concept. And we are beginning our randomized control trial now that compares Mira to present center therapy. So if you get three sessions, you may not be doing an EBP, you may just be providing support and problem solving. 
And so we are starting that at the Tampa VA and at the Houston VA, and we don't have results for that yet. And it will be blinded. So it will take an extreme amount of time to get the results. It's a five-year study, but we um, are hopeful that it helps people manage their aggression. That's so exciting. And I, you know, I mean, it's, it's early on, of course, and it, you've got some preliminary, you know, good news there. Um, and, and I don't know if it, one of the things I think that a lot of our listeners, or at least those interested in in treatments and interventions, especially evidence-based ones, is, and I, I can almost imagine because I'm thinking this too, like, like, where do I sign up? Like, you know, are we at a place yet where Mira is being disseminated, and and how does somebody implement that? Yes. So, I am very happy to share the manual. The Department of Veterans Affairs, your tax dollars, paid for that manual, so you can have it. Um, please, please feel free to email me. We are editing it and updating it for the RCT. Um, and so I'm happy to share it with everyone. Actually, it's been disseminated throughout the DOD at 17 training sites. And so it's not a mandatory part of training, but for psychology and social work programs, um, it is being offered um, to students as an option um, for their service members who are presenting with aggression. And so happy to share it. And um, some people are using it. I just don't want to oversell the results before the science gets yeah. there. Yeah. And I guess one question I had was, you know, would you see this as a good, um, Kevin and I both teach PE and he teaches CPT and ACT. Uh, is this something that could be helpful, like before you would start an EBP to kind of get a client to a place where they might be able to digest the, the like EBP a little bit better? Yeah, kind of preparatory. Thank yeah. you, Kevin. Yes. And so I originally, this is developed to go um, before CPT or PE. So I love CPT and PE. Um, however, the rates of dropout are just really high. They're up to 50% in clinical settings. And so we actually did qualitative work with veterans and we said, what is your biggest fear about engaging in PE and CPT? And these are veterans who actually finished evidence-based psychotherapies. And they said, I didn't think I could handle my emotions. I thought if I opened it, I wouldn't be able to manage it. Now, as someone who does those treatments, that's inaccurate. That's a fear, that's a cognition that's inaccurate. However, if the patient doesn't realize it's inaccurate and you don't convince him or of him or her of that, you get three sessions. And they're so gone. Yeah. they're gone and they, they may need skills based, but they also probably need PTSD work. And so it's one way to hook them into treatment. And that's an exploratory aim of the RCT is if we offer them Mira, are they more likely to initiate an EVP? And so we'll see if that pans out. We hope it does. And also even just that therapeutic relationship, developing that, helping the patient feel or the client feel more comfortable is enough to build, have that little building block to get them to trust you enough to do an EBP, which can be scary. Well, we really appreciate you spending some time chatting with us today. And we always like to end our episodes with just a couple of pieces of actionable intel. So some thoughts or advice that clinicians who are listening to the podcast today and maybe are encountering impulsive anger and aggression with the clients they're working with can use and put to, to use right away. So do you have a couple of thoughts about maybe two or three little bits of actionable intel that our users could make use of? Yes. One, it's to become comfortable with your own emotional experiences. So if you um, are uncomfortable with your own anger or you're uncomfortable with your own sadness, that can be really difficult for you to handle someone else's. 
I think as therapists, we are comfortable handling other people's sadness and distress or anxiety, but anger is so jarring. Aggression is so jarring, especially if it's directed at the therapist in the sense that the patient is angry and doesn't know where else to deliver it and you're in the room with him or her. So being able to regulate your own emotions is really important. These skills are not just for PTSD. Um, the app is great. Everyone could benefit from using it, the PTSD coach app. And so becoming comfortable with your own emotions, but also being comfortable when people are aggressive. It can often trigger aggression in you. And I have botched my response to aggression, like in any way you can. I've been too passive. I've sat there and taken it when I should have like set better boundaries. I've been too aggressive. So if you can botch it, I've botched it in any way. However, being able to be around it and the more you're around it and realize it's not about you, but it's about this person's experience and being unable to regulate what is going on internally, kind of taking a step back and looking at it from that perspective can be really helpful. And so regulate your own. And then also uh, when it comes up in session, it's generally not about you. And if it is, then y'all work on that in treatment. But um, that can be really jarring, especially for new therapists who are not used to having that type of behavior directed at them. And then I guess, so becoming comfortable with one's own emotions and other people's emotions, that's kind of like therapy in general. But also um, being able to give skills even if you have a limited amount of time. So I used to have this practicum supervisor who said, you, you wanna give your patient a parting gift. And this is Joanne Davis at the University of Tulsa. If she ever listens to this. She said, um, you always wanna give your patient a parting gift. And if that is a skill, that is awesome because they can take that with them and use it. And so uh, oftentimes when people don't like EBPs, they talk about how step, oriented is and all these other things that you have to follow, uh, but having tangible things that people can walk away with, with instructions is helpful, especially if they're so new to the area of psychotherapy. And so feeling like you can follow um, skills-based or give skills-based intervention, I think is really important. Great. Well, uh, I, I knew you would not disappoint Shannon and you did a fantastic job. It was a great discussion. Uh, on aggression and we'll definitely in the show notes be able to put some information about how folks can try and get more about the therapist. There's a therapist and patient manual for the for Mira, correct? Correct. Can I just give that to you guys? Like, is there a way to post that? Like, I don't know if that's allowed or. We can see what we can do. Um, okay. We might have to work those details out, but um, I know that uh, I speak for the three of us when I say we really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thank you for the actionable intel for sure. And gift. maybe we will have a future discussion about disgust. I don't know. Yeah, I can't believe you pulled that one out. Jenna, I didn't even remember us talking about that. I was like, wow. It's like I'm an elephant, Shannon. <laughs> Noted. So thank you very much. And we hope you listen in again for our next episode of Practical for Your Practice. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.